You're listening to 89.5 FM KOPN Columbia, Mid-Missouri's source for in-depth news, diverse talk and music of the world. It's not just radio, it's community radio on the web at kopn.org. And this is Speaking of the Arts. Good morning and welcome to Speaking of the Arts on KOPN, an hour of news, views and interviews on the arts in mid-Missouri. I'm Diana Moxon. Having spent a few weeks immersed in the world of theatre, this week we're going to focus on the visual arts, another rich vein of artistic inspiration which runs through Columbia and mid-Missouri. Later in the show, we're going to take an unflinching look at the current political scene through the eyes of local artist Tim Swenson, whose political satire work is on display at Columbia College in an art exhibit called Demo Crazy Democracy with a Z. But first, we're going to take a flying verbal tour around this weekend's Fall Into Art Festival, which is at Parkade Plaza tomorrow and Sunday with one of the show's organisers, Melinda Lotvin, and artist Carla McFarland and possibly artist Yukari Kashihara, but she is stuck in traffic. So if she makes it here, we'll talk to her too. But first, hello, Melinda and Carla. Hi. Hello, Diana. (laughs) So let's start out by having each of you talk a little bit about your own art. Melinda, why don't you kick it off and explain your fascination with gourds and where you get your inspiration from? Uh, The gourd, for one thing, and and, then my surroundings. but The shape uh, of the gourd. uh, Right. Uh, um, I started painting gourds and crafting with gourds 30 years ago, and it all started where gourds were left on my doorstep in the country by the builder, and we left them alone. They got gross, moldy. Six months later, I went to go throw them away, and they were hard and radly, so I washed them up, painted them, and fell in love. (laughs) So that's how it began with me. And my inspiration, uh, well, the gourd, I, I would say the gourd knows what it is, and so I kind of, you know, so I kind of go with that. But then I got into sculpting with gourds, and I really got active with the Columbia Art League, and especially when, Diana, you were there, and continue on. But the special shows that they had were always such a challenge, and, and they just would make me, force me to, to go different directions with my gourd, or push my gourds into other directions, and I've really enjoyed that, which has taken me to sculpt dragons and all kinds of things. So it started with a housewoman gift in 1993 with these yes. gourds that left on your doorstep but were you already a painter? Because, yes. Okay. Yes. Because your I, painting I, skills are... I painted on flat. High. I painted watercolor and uh, painted on acrylic and, and oils. But yeah, once the gourd bug bit me, that was it. <laughs> and do you have to coat the gourds first with a particular material before you paint onto them? No, not necessarily. Uh, they're, they just have to be dried and cured. So you have to use last year or the year before's gourds. You can't use this year's gourds because they're 90% water. And when they dry and cure, then you're left with the seeds and the pulp on the inside and then the outer shell. And you have to scrub them up really good, get that skin off, get that mold off. And then... I usually just dive on in and start. Sometimes I'll paint them all white, and then I'll I'll go in uh, with whatever I'm going to paint them with. Do you just travel around the countryside finding gourds for sale, or do you have a supply? <laughs> like, where do you get all the gourds from? Because you always seem to have a gourd that's the right shape. Far, well, you can never have enough gourds. I'll tell you that much. I grow them because I enjoy watching them grow, and so I have that. And then uh, I have gourd farmers, one of which that I may not have anymore because he may not be growing them anymore, but in Blackwater along the Missouri River. 
and in Boonville. And then I have suppliers online that I go to if I can't find certain things that I need. Does the uh, does the shape of the gourd affect what you paint or decide what you want to paint and then find the gourd that works for you? Both ways. <laughs> Both ways. Because sometimes you look at a gourd and you go, oh my gosh, that's a quail. Or, or that's, a, you know, you, that's uh, whatever it is, you know. And then there's times you just get in a dragon mood and you want to pull out all my pieces and start putting them together and stuff. So I was looking on your Etsy site and your Christmas gourds are by far the apparent bestsellers trailed in a distant second and third place by dragons, magic and fantasy designs and then ornaments, a lot of which are of course Christmas based. So do you sell more Christmas gourds because you love to make them or do you make more Christmas gourds because that's what the market demands i love to do santas and i love to do snowmen because i just feel like the gourd has that shape i just i I feel like they're they're wedded with each other so i do enjoy and i and i love the feeling of santa the unconditional love is how i feel with santa santa's always giving to everyone and so i so i i love doing santas and i love i love doing faces and stuff so um but I do get in moods, you know, and so I want to do something totally different, you know. Because <laughs> your big seller at the Art League that we discovered many years ago was Tiger Face Gourds, of which I can't, I don't even know how many we saw when I was there. I mean, it was like hundreds of them. I w- it seemed like every time, every few weeks, I'd need to email you and say, need more Tiger Face Gourds, Melinda. I love Particularly at the beginning of the year, like school year, September through December, we would sell so many of them. This, this would be the email. I've been on a bit of a run here with your tiger gourds and I'd always hear your voice in your email <laughs> they were always great they just were great great for like parents coming in for all of the parent weekends they'd all drop by and buy a gourd or when it was football weekends then people would walk past the art league and I, I always would have them in the window because they were just a great hook to yeah. pull people in so they, they were they're awesome <laughs> they're a lot of fun and I love that yeah <laughs> Carla I always think of you as a glass artist right um, because we had so many of your gorgeous stained glass windows at the art league over many years but um back in the day you started off i think doing basket weaving and right. now you're also a good carver right all of which you've just picked <clears throat> up since you retired from being a special education teacher at west junior high That's right. and i think a lot of people i'd find this at the art league would put their creative life on hold while they're having a career <clears throat> and raising a family so what was your journey into art making as a special ed teacher you never get to see the results of your work because it takes too long. And you, you, know, you might see it a year or two later, but sometimes you need to feel like you're completing something, you're accomplishing something. So after I would finish teaching for the day and finish my grading and all of that, I would come home and weave baskets because I could get that done in a given period of time and see an accomplishment. And I really needed that. It, it really helped me get through some of the frustrations of teaching. Then after I retired from teaching, because I was so used to working at that pace, I drove my husband crazy. <laughs> I had painted, I had repainted the whole house within a month and a half. So he said, you need a hobby. <laughs> and he bought me a stained glass class as my birthday present. And it was a two-day class at Village Glass, and I loved it. And so I got into making stained glass. 
So how do you think of yourself now? Do you think of yourself as, a, as an artist generally or do you think of a stained glass artist? I don't like to use the word artist because I think that's reserved for more talented people. <laughs> I say I make stuff. <laughs> You're an artist, Carla. <laughs> Thank you. But I, I, I reserve that for people that I, I think have a, perhaps a message or a vision. And I just like to make stuff. Well, you make beautiful stuff. Well, thank you. That that I'll take. But <laughs> so you describe art. I read something you would describe it as free therapy. Yeah. Um, but for it to be therapy, I think you also have to be able to roll through failures without discouragement, because you know art is a long process where you have to kind of a little bit like science. You have to get it wrong before you can get it right. So how do you overcome? that learning curve of failing and keep going because a lot of people just go oh I didn't work I'm going to stop and do something else but you just move, keep on going then you start a new art form right. and you do the process <laughs> right. over again the irony is I'll make something and I'll think oh I almost ought to throw that away that'll be the first thing that sells at a show and I'm going really <laughs> so I don't really think of them as failures I think of them as maybe not my favorite pieces but <laughs> They're okay. They keep going. And because I just enjoy the process and I'll get burned out for a while and then I'll see something online or I'll see something in a building or on a, in a magazine and I'll go, oh, okay, I want to do that. And then I get started again and get reinvigorated again. So it's just a, a way for me to keep busy and have something to do. And what will you be showing at Falling fall into art are you showing glass or I'm doing gourds? stained glass okay yeah so the, the the carved gourds that you're doing is that just for you at the moment or do you sell no you've had those at the art no League, right? yeah, yeah i yeah. have those in other shows but since this is a juried show you can only jury in on one particular type of art or medium and so i chose stained glass this year Okay, so Melinda, back to the festival. This is the ninth year for Fall Into Arts. How did it all get started? It, there was a void uh, in Columbia for a show in the fall, really. Well, we used to have the one downtown, and it got stopped. Right. Well, the city yeah, of Columbia, the Office of Cultural right. Affairs, right. used to have one. Yeah. And then uh, we tried uh, a fair of the arts. Mm -hmm. And then that kind of rolled into fall into art, right. but it was just because there was this hole there, um, and we, Farah and Carla and Farah Neuvenhausen, yeah, Farah and um, and you. it was hard. It was just really hard to get it started. Yes. It was really really hard <laughs> because she was dealing with. Uh, her, she had a sister that had health I had issues. A, yeah, we I were had passing each other <laughs> in the elevator at the hospital. At the hospital, <laughs> yeah. and and there were times when it was like, are we going to make this? Be, we're going to be able to make this happen, and we did. And it really felt like a boulder. You're like you're pushing this boulder, but then the fifth year, it just it really has taken off. It's really taken off, and and Kay Foley. She's been, she's, we hired her uh, this year as our executive director, and, and uh, so it's taken off, and it's going on because of the artists, and because of the three of us, and you know, so. 
Well, it's like we were just saying about failure. I mean, you took, it took five years for it to work, but yeah. during those five years, I mean, there must have been many times when you looked at each other in the elevator and said, let's not do this next year. <laughs> oh, we did. We did. We did. We really did. But um, you kept on going. We and, kept on going. We, and and uh, we had a good friend also, uh, when he's passed away, but Larry Lote. Yeah. He was also, you know, kind of some wind underneath all of helping right. us get it all started as well. But yeah, the first few years was really, really difficult, and we did wonder if it was going to keep on going. But but it is going, and it's going strong, mm-hmm. very, very strong. Ninth year. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. So thinking of it as a festival organizer, having been a festival organizer, and being very glad that I'm no longer a festival <laughs> organizer, what are the biggest stresses? <laughs> Opening the email. <laughs> What's gonna happen next? <laughs> but it's going a little. It's it's a little smoother now. So I don't want to reflect on the stress. <laughs> you have to balance a lot of personalities. Yeah. Yes. That's always difficult. Yeah. yeah. The, the the artists have been really great. The artists have been really and Parkade has been really great. Mm-hmm. Our sponsors have been um, have been great as well. Can I mention sure. them? Sure. Uh, well, we've had Central Bank of Boone County, uh, Carol and Mark Stevenson's, Stevens, uh, City of Columbia Office of Cultural Affairs, and uh, this year we have Missouri Life, and then the Parkade Center. They have all helped us. It's a great venue us. for yes. like a, yes. you know, a Inside, winter festival. Mm-hmm. You know, right. and uh, in the fall, and you know, right around the holiday season. Because that was, I think, my biggest stress as a festival organizer was the right. one thing I couldn't control, which was the weather. weather right. We were outside in a park, and you had no idea whether a tornado was going to come through right. in June. It was going to be wet all weekend or just disgustingly hot, which it was often. Often. <laughs> <laughs> but I always said, I will take disgustingly hot over wind or rain, because those were really difficult to there deal with. There was one with. time at the parkade, and I don't know what year it was, seventh year maybe, that we had such a wind that the electricity, one of the electricity lines out, and we had no electricity oh my there goodness. for a while. So, yeah, <laughs> during <Yeah>. the festival. <laughs> but there's light there. It's okay. So, Fallen to Art is a juried show, and I know that because I was the jury. <laughs> yes, you oh. were. We were so happy that you juried our show. I, I said, said to Kay, she says, well, who should we get to jury the show? I said, hey, what about Diana? She didn't do anything. <laughs> Exactly. I'll do it. It's fun to dive back into the arts for a while. What do you say to someone who says, why don't you just make space for everyone? We don't have space for We went down that road. That was an experiment two years ago. We tried to open up another wing, and that just, i that was the night I didn't sleep. I, that was the week I didn't sleep because... It just, I thought this isn't going to work, but we we know where our cutoff is. We know how much we can allow in this venue, and it's either this or you know so chaos. Plus, just, there's a difference between a juried art show and a craft show, and there are lots of craft show venues around Columbia, particularly this time of year. This one's different. This is an art show, and I think it's good to make that distinction and keep it that way. 
Yeah, I think I think exactly that. I mean, it, art in the park was kind of the same. We had this giant right. park. Mm-hmm. I could fit in as many people really as I wanted, as many as applied right. and more because it was so huge. Right. But the second year that I ran out in the park, I made that mistake and I thought, I've got all this space. Let's go up to 125 artists. And, uh, and it was a disaster. There wasn't enough parking. There weren't enough volunteers to help everybody. And everybody there made less money because I right. figured there was a fixed amount of spending money that was coming to the festival. Right. And it was better if fewer people went home with more money because they were more likely to want to come back the following year. Right. And so then year three, I had a real dip in applications because it had just not gone well in year two. And so, you know, you yeah, you learn quickly what your venue what the capacity is and and the spending power that's going to arrive at your festival and yes there's been some hard lessons yes (laughs) (laughs) so give us a quick overview on some of the artists who will be at fall into art this year well we have uh Heinrich Leonard with his ceramics and uh, he's the one that has the little chimes and things the little Christmas ornaments little little belt little light very elaborately painted Mm -hmm. yeah beautiful yeah yeah. and and then we have a repeat of of, uh, Jeff Ferguson we have um, some repeat artists coming Jeff Ferguson and his ceramics he's local too right. he's local and um, beautiful bowls and mugs yeah yes, his it, yes. Uh, my my son is like is jeff gonna be there is jeff gonna be? yes <laughs> yes uh eucaria she's she has some beautiful ceramics teapots and that kind you of carry idea. always used to win best in ceramics or, right. or one of the best places at art in the park i don't think that anybody walks past a eucari artwork without saying i want that uh-huh. oh they're it's exquisite just they're she, charming she has her own little well i think everybody on here has their own their own personality and and yes definitely hers just just comes right on out but i mean in terms of medium you have ceramic artists yes. you have painters watercolor we have fiber, oil. uh we've got fiber we've got uh jewelry we have lots of jewelry um always we, lots of jewelry at festivals wood, wood uh, wood turning. Wood, wood turning. Mm-hmm. Yes, we've got. Um, yeah, Ernest Hildebrand. He he does the wood turning, and he's he is very popular right. there. I think he's like one of our big sellers right there. Is and also he had a, a a piece in our silent auction, which that brought a lot of money. I forgot how much money that brought in, but his his piece brought a lot of money in. Too. He often used to say to me when I walked past his booth at Fall Into Art, he'd say, I'm doing better than I did at Art in the Park. <laughs> did he really? <laughs> Thanks, Ernest. Good job. <laughs> Thanks. Where's the salt for that one? <laughs> uh, Kay Foley, I, I had mentioned, uh, she, is, she does mixed media and she's on our committee and uh, she is our executive director and then Fair and Wienhausen. Uh she does jewelry and she will be there with her jewelry uh, we've got fiber artists um, we just have a, a little bit of everything and we mm-hmm. just have sculpture photography we've got uh, Kim Kim Carr with yeah. her for wonderful right. photography and Cricket Hackman with her wonderful photography the glass we've got Peggy uh, Peggy, King. Peggy King with glass. She and, does fused. Yeah, fused glass. And um, um, so we, drawing, Jerry Brown, Joel Chrisman, we have drawing. From Ashland, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, Jerry Brown won one of the big awards at Art in the Park one year for his uh, pastel paintings. He does beautiful Missouri landscapes. Right. Stunning artist, yeah. Yes. 
Marsha Menendez with her fiber, Marsha Witt with her fiber. She does baskets with and does fiber in oh, her and basket. Right. Kennedy, I think. And McGinnity, Kennedy, yeah. Another also. basket maker. Yeah. Rose McGinnity. It's just a really, I love going to Fall into Art because it is just perfectly timed for holiday shopping. So there's always lots of great things right. that I buy for myself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> um, you know, ceramic vessels or belt bowls and right. then, you know, jewelry. I love um, Mary Beth St. Clair, who's the Amber Jeweler from mm-hmm. Wyconda, Missouri. She has amazing work always. She will be there. Alison Norfleet Brunger, right. who's yes, she a stunning artist, well. jewelry, yeah. jewelry mm-hmm. from uh, St. Louis. So, yeah, you've got a great crowd of people, yeah. many of whom, of course, I know from my art in the park right. years. So it's always a, deli- a delight to see them back in town again for this festival. So a, a question for both of you. Art making is really a solitary pursuit for the most part, yet mm-hmm. festivals are really a kind of a barrage of, of people and questions and interactions and making sales and closing sales and, and you know, doing the deal. So what part of the journey from making the art to selling the art as artists do you think is the most challenging for you? Pricing. That's hard. I have a hard time pricing. Yeah. It's hard to value myself. Right, right. <laughs> That's the hardest part. It's for hard me. for me to ask people for what I think it should be worth. Yeah. And so I always kind of lower the price. Yeah, <laughs> Do yeah, people yeah. bargain with you? Sometimes. I find that so rude. <laughs> or or they'll say, well, I really like this window, but do you have it in green? Like, no. <laughs> but they could commission you to right, make it right, in green. Right, right, yeah. But people would often say, well, you know, would you contact the artist and, t- and tell them I'll give them 50%? And right. I think, you know, if you're a doctor, nobody comes in and says, oh, I want knee surgery, but I'll give you 50% of right, the going rate. Right. Or, you know, I'm in insurance. I'll give you 50% of the insurance price for my house. I mean, nobody does that. But some for some reason, with artists they feel like they are have the right to bargain with them and I think you know what you're not seeing you're seeing like the tip of the iceberg when you look at a piece of art what you're not seeing are the hours of trial and error the years of education you know the amount of cost of materials cost of materials everything that goes into it and I think it is difficult and and that was going to be my next question is you know how do you price your work because one of the things that people would always ask me at the art league was you know what what price do you think I should put on and then I it's difficult for me too because I don't. I might have an idea, but I don't know how far off my idea yeah. is from yeah. the artist's right. idea, and I don't want to f- offend them by right. you know saying, "Well, I think about a hundred dollars," and they were thinking ten thousand. Right, right. <laughs> so, right. I'm like, right. it's kind of a no-win. Yeah. <laughs> well, or, or like I went online when I was first getting started to see how other people priced stained glass. Well, they were doing it per piece or per square footage. But you can't compare a Columbia market to a New York market right. or a California market, so that really wasn't all that helpful. So you kind of figure what the market will bear and go from there. And as long you know, cover your costs, right? Right. But that, but you never get back as an artist the time. Oh, no. No. That but that's you why I in. call it therapy. <laughs> <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Yeah. I figure it's cheaper than hiring a psychiatrist. <laughs> I remember years ago, an artist coming in, an oil painter, and she had um, um, a portrait of a, I can't remember who was, a famous person. And she had priced it, it was $5,000. And she was new to Columbia. And so I said to her, oh, do you not want to sell it? 
Because sometimes right. people would put this crazy price on works because they didn't really want to part with it. But, I, you know, I had a rule at the art league that you have to mark things for sale. And, uh, and so she kind of looked at me strangely and said, of course I want to sell it. And, and I, I had to do that explanation of, well, it might work in, in you know, Brazil or wherever she was from. But, it, you know, we're in a small Midwest market. So 5000 might be a little high if you, right. if you truly want to sell it. And so, you know, kind of, we had to kind of bargain, negotiate the price down. Of course, it still didn't sell because it was still like two and a half thousand or something but the time that was where she felt I cannot go any lower than this right. and I knew that was way above what the market would yeah, you know absorb. tolerate absorb but you know that yeah. was uh, <laughs> <laughs> what we had to go with so the other thing that we often talked about with art in the park is the, you know the rise of online galleries Melinda you're on Etsy I don't know Carla you're no. not selling online no. but that's really changed the field for a lot of artists you know you can bypass galleries and festivals you can cut out all the middlemen that take a commission from you and go straight to the customer and so um, I think for a lot of particularly younger artists they think well why would I spend all my time sitting at a festival when I could be at home in the studio making art which is what I love to do and I can sell it online and so it, it's the future of festivals feels a little precarious because except that's part of what the appeal is because getting to interact with people, getting to have them look at your work and go, oh, wow, that's really pretty. Even though they may not really be talking to you, they're talking to their friend. That's part of why I do it. Right. So it is that interaction. And, and people, I think, like to see the person that made stuff. Right. Yeah, they absolutely. Like to, yeah. like to meet the person. They're like, oh. Oh, are you the artist? You know, I think they romanticize our lives. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, yeah. But I think they like to meet the person that made their piece. I cannot imagine buying a piece of art online because I want to, you know, behold it with my own eyes. Right. And if it's if it's something that I can touch, then there's that tactility right. about it that you don't have online. But I think I I still think a lot of artists are opting not. To, to do that because interactions are difficult for a lot of people I see that you know people would sit at the back of their booth they don't really want to come out and talk to the customer other artists are very gregarious mm -hmm. you know Melinda right. I can't imagine you doing that <laughs> you know you'd be out talking to people but that is difficult right, and yeah. so that whole festival situation can be a, a challenge I think for some artists can I mention a couple things yes go for it I'm going to say what else <laughs> let's talk about the show for the last few minutes go for uh, it we're going to music all weekend so we are having music from 10 till 5. Uh, my husband is playing. Tony Lotvin with Al Jolly is going to be playing. We've got uh, the Lonesome Companions. We've got Audra Sergal and uh, Joel Anderson, uh, Lisa Rose's Jazz. Uh, so we'll have music all weekend long, both days from beginning to end. And then we're also raising money for uh, the food bank. Mm -hmm. And we'll have a silent auction. And these artists are, um, those, those are voluntary that want to donate an item um, for the silent auction. And that's been very popular. And that will be going on all weekend. It'll be cut off mm -hmm. at 2 o'clock. But there will be wonderful artwork out there that you can bid on. And uh, last year, we raised $2,380 for the food bank. Great job. And so that makes us feel good yeah. that we do that. So. And there's food there as well? Yes. Well, uh, we mm -hmm. have cookies and cider. So it's, it's uh, you know, not, not, we're not really serving food, no. But you have 55 artists, yes. mostly from around Missouri, but some from other states too, mm -hmm. who'll be there from 10 till 5 on Saturday yes. and 11 till 4 on Sunday. Is that right? Yes. That's right. Yes. Okay. And uh, they can look at the, our artists on our, our website, 
fallintoart.org and they can also like our Facebook page and uh, fall into art look us up on fall into art and it costs nothing to come to the festival it's nothing. free entry and okay. we have a little kids activity area uh, hosted by the Baha'i group has a little kids always has had a, a kids uh, art making yeah. activities yes. Mm-hmm. yes yes so Parquet Plaza 10 yes. till 5 on Saturday 11 till 4 on Sunday no cost to attend 55 artists from yes. around Missouri awesome opportunity for holiday shopping and it's really important to come out and support artists and even if you don't buy from them just have a conversation tell them that you know you they you think they're doing great and you like their work because they spend all year by themselves in their studio (laughs) and here we have them out in public so let's encourage them yes we love our backs pat our backs (laughs) melinda and carla thank you so very much uh, for coming in today and best of luck this weekend and i will see you at some point over the weekend Thank you, Diana. Thank you so much, Diana. What a joy. Thank you. This is fun. Good. And you're listening to Speaking of the Arts on 89.5 FM KOPN Columbia. And after the break, we'll be back with artists Tim Swenson and Mike Sled to talk political satire. So put the kettle on and then hurry right back. Speaking of the arts at 89.5 FM, KOP in Columbia. And to my next guest, political satire artist Tim Swenson and the former chair of the Columbia College of Art Department (laughs) and well-known artist about town, Mike Sled. Mike and Tim, welcome to Speaking of the Arts. Thank you. (laughs) Tim, I have to start off by saying that your work is phenomenal. Well, thank you. The Democracy Show, which you sp- share space with a Maryville College assistant professor That's of democracy, democracy, democracy. I was going to ask you like where that name came from, but I'll ask you in a minute. So, oh, from you. Okay. So um, you share the space with Morgan Manning, who's a uh, assistant professor of arts at Maryville College. Mm-hmm. And when I looked at the show, what is amazing is like, I would expect to see that show in a major metropolis. So I'm expecting Mike to tell me that the show has flown in from New York or from DC or from London. You are just an outstanding artist. Do you well, have an you. agent? No, I don't. I'd like to if there's any out there listening. <laughs> I, think I, might, I think I might put my hand up and you know, offer to be there. Um, so what happens to all of these amazing works when the show comes down? Do, is it going to travel? What happens well, next? Well, at this point, they'll be in my studio at home, but I'll be looking for other venues to uh, exhibit them in. And also, I'd like to make contacts with publications. I think they would uh, work really well as il- article illustrations or cover illustrations for magazines like, you know, The New Yorker, you know, that would be a dream yeah. issue to be on, or uh, New York Times, L.A. Times, or 
Mother Jones or any of the, uh, the politically conscious publications out there. They would surely be clamoring if they just knew it existed. I mean, is there? Do you yeah. send press releases out to the New York Times, Mike? Or to uh, you know, I thought <laughs> LA about Times. it. No. <laughs> well, I've sent out some cards. Some of the cards from my uh, exhibit that I sent out, and uh, I've talked to some people who have some contacts around. So I'm still kind of looking, you know, hoping I can come up with uh, some representation to do that, yeah. but also uh, to exhibit them. And yes, I'd like to exhibit in uh, some large venues in other cities, that type of thing, especially over the next couple of years, because uh, we're in a political climate that doesn't end. And uh, you're asking about democracy. Mm -hmm. um, that's pretty much uh, sums up uh, the world, the life, the country we live in right. right now. And so that's where that comes from. Are there works for sale? Uh, no, they're not for sale. <laughs> <laughs> uh, because I would like to exhibit them some more. And uh, it's just a god-awful amount of time into yeah. producing these um, anywhere from 25 hours to 40 hours maybe longer than that uh, I, I suppose if I worked on them uh, more often I could uh, speed up a little bit I have a full-time job. job too I have right? a day job so I work <laughs> in the evenings and on weekends on them and uh, there's a lot more that I wanted to have in the show, but it's, uh, you know, space issues. I kind of cut short, you know, stopped working on some of the pieces to make some room for Morgans. <laughs> Didn't take well, up the whole gallery. Now, three of them have been in uh, the Columbia College Gallery before for well, the paper in particular. Only one, show. Only, only one. One, of one of these. Oh, okay. Yes, the, uh, one of this group. Toxic Toadstool, North Korean variety. Yes, okay. The, the that, Kim Jong. That, yeah. <laughs> that's great. So when did you start making the show like did you did you start with one and then it became a show or did you set out with a plan like i'm going to make 15 sculptures for well, a show called democracy years ago i worked in paper mache a little my father was an artist and our teacher in st louis he was art supervisor of the webster Groves public schools and he loved paper mache and so i grew up loving it too and i as a kid i was very influenced by a uh, a british uh, artist a sculptor and and uh, cartoonist and caricaturist gerald scarf who uh -huh. worked in paper i remember gerald scarf yeah. yes and uh, and so i made some pieces years ago and uh, ever since then i've wanted to get back into it and so then when paper uh, in particular the show at the columbia college hosts every year um, I've been in that one about six times now, mostly with drawings and prints, but a few years back I started thinking that I'd like to work in paper mache and produce something. So uh, when the 2016 election year came around and the, all the craziness began, that's when I started uh, doing a lot of sketching while I was watching the news and over the summer a lot of sketching, watching the political conventions. And I started out, the first one I made was that uh, Toxic Toadstool one. And I, I, uh, that was the first sketches and the first one I started building. And then there were two pieces that dealt with the Republican and Democratic conventions of that summer. And I entered all three pieces into paper in particular that fall. And they were in the spring 2017 show. And the uh, reaction was incredible. Um, Scott McMahon, the uh, uh, director of the Larson Gallery there at Columbia College, came over to me and said, you're the hit of the show. <laughs> These people are, I, I looked around, people were taking selfies of themselves with they still the do. sculpture, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and emailing them and putting them on Facebook and things. So that's Mike and Scott said, you know, you've got, ain't you got any more of these around? Are you going to make some more of these? And, and I said, yeah, definitely. And uh, so I started working uh, later that year and uh, with the idea of producing enough for a show at Columbia College and trying to uh, hone in on certain issues that are relevant and, and the personalities that are out there. 
So late that year, you mean the end of 2017. So 17. most of the works that are in the show, you've built this year. Within the past year or so, year and a half at most, yeah. I mean, they're so detailed. I mean, how long does it take you to make? Like the toxic toadstool, you have kind of a toadstool on top of a cage, and then you have, you know, Kim yeah. Jong. Kim Jong Un is a sitting on top is a of toad. It. It's a fat toad sitting, and his toadstool is a is a atomic mushroom cloud. Yeah, right. And, and then inside the cage, there are to- lots of little people. Yeah. Well, I I looked online at some of the sketches that people have made. Really horrible sketches. Um, very tragic of the uh, uh, political uh, uh, prison camps in North Korea, and it's like, it's like looking at Nazi Germany again. And so I envision underneath he, his toxic toadstool rises up above a rounded sort of globe shape with a map of uh, North and South Korea, and underneath it is this prison with the, these decimated figures underneath reaching out through the bars. But the detail and the time that it must take, like how, mu- how long did it take to make that one? That one Weeks? Probably, uh, yeah, it probably took 40 or 50 hours. You know, and you work on it little at a time because there's different stages involved. Each piece has an armature of wire and wood and a, a wooden base under it. And um, I flesh out the wire armature with newspaper, you know, the Columbia Tribune plays a part in the whole thing, wadding it up to get shape and form, taping that up, and then working with the paper mache. I use a non-toxic art paste and uh, industrial-style brown paper towels, and it's slowly built up layer by layer, details applied, and painted with acrylics at the very end. And there's there's also little bits of, excuse me, of uh, digital imaging that I produce, like uh, using computer and Adobe programs to add. For example, there, the one that was in that paper in particular show uh, was called Shame of Thrones. The party gets trumped, and it's uh, Trump on a, on a, with a gold throne on a Republican you know, elephant, you know, parading through, stepping on people, knocking things over. He's got these big barrels of mud attached you know because he was such a mudslinger and it says you know it says it's slingtastic on the barrels and those are all produced like digitally and attached so uh, it's a very much a mixed media kind of piece your faces are so detailed how how do you sculpt the faces just with little bits of brown paper towel and yeah and also use little tools like you would use in ceramics because uh, in the in years past like when i was a student i um, I took a number of courses, uh, probably five semesters of ceramics. I used to do a lot of stoneware sculpture and some pottery with sculpted lids that I would sell at art fairs. And I did some at the Art League years ago. I was a member for a long time. and uh, Before my time, yeah. I'd remember your work. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, you sculpt it with the same kind of tools you'd use for sculpting in clay. But now your background, from an educational point of view, you were, went to, you did an undergraduate degree with, mm-hmm. in drawing, then you did your master's degree in printmaking. But then your, and your passion from your childhood, working with your father, was mm-hmm. sculpture. Why did you not pursue sculpture educationally? Because it was always something that was a part of me. I'd always made sculpture. And I, I grew up in my dad's uh, basement art studio. It was like the old school apprenticeship. Uh, you know, I'd always kind of help him with make, mixing up materials and getting things ready for his shows. So I, it was not like I felt I ever needed somebody to bestow upon me a degree right. in sculpture. I always made sculpture, uh, but uh, and uh, printmaking was a little more of a mystery to me. He didn't take a lot of printmaking, so um, I didn't do as much of that as a kid. And when the University of Iowa accepted me into their program, it's like the Vatican City for printmaking up there in Iowa City, and uh, <laughs> so I couldn't refuse that. And, 
<laughs> do you still do printmaking? I still you? do some. It's been a little while. I've been focusing on the sculpture, but uh, when I left Iowa, I kind of got involved in the non-toxic printmaking movement mm. and was able to study in Santa Fe, a summer workshop with Keith Howard, the late Keith Howard, who was one of the founders of the, the whole idea of producing safer, um, environmentally healthier uh, printmaking materials and methods. And is that that kind of drew you back to papier mache that it's a, a safe, non toxic? Yeah, it is, and it's a lot uh, less heavy to carry around than stoneware. <laughs> right. We're working in some of the other mediums. My dad's uh, medium was uh, wood. He loved wood sculpting, but that's a very slow. Yeah. By by contrast, papier mache is a lot quicker, <laughs> and it's a very instant kind of. Uh, um, feedback you get when you're working with it. Mike, how did this show come about in the first place? Well, just like Tim said, you know, it was uh, from his entry in the paper in particular show. And uh, everybody just loved his work. And they just, you know, it was like the rest of the show got ignored, I think. <laughs> but it's always a beautiful exhibit. Uh, and uh, Tim's work just uh, was something we wanted to show more of. And the yeah. pairing with Morgan Manning <clears throat> right. his print which came work. out as yeah, a result of uh, mm-hmm. uh, the chair of our department, Diana. Ma- uh, <laughs> Me? Really? <laughs> I've got a promotion. Thank you, Mike. <laughs> yeah. Is there a salary with that? <laughs> yeah. Uh, Diane Langdon uh, said uh, that uh, this guy would be a really good person mm. to pair. And she was right. It was just perfect. It was a good good combination. Yeah, they look really good together, the work. The uh, Columbia Tribune, in an article early this month, Eric Danielson, mm-hmm. described the two bodies of work in the show, saying, Swenson's work is a blunt force instrument, while Manning creates a slow burn. That's, <laughs> that's true. I, I, I don't know. I yes. think I can't stop thinking about your work oh, um, you. that was in the show. It's just so... Yeah on point it's so now it's so contemporary it's so spot on and you know you you say that uh you are kind of a politically independent Mm -hmm. that you are progressive in some areas and then lean conservatives in others so you're an equal opportunity Mm -hmm. uh, 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 satirist i mean it seems like you're mostly (laughs) (laughs) poking fun at the you know the right a little little bit left (laughs) well yeah well you know that's when you get elected the winner has to take the brunt of uh, the punishment for a satirist because (laughs) you're the one in power you're the one making decisions you're the one who creates either benefits or problems for the rest of the country. And so, yeah, I have uh, bones to pick with the the people in charge. (laughs) I think it was Jimmy Kimmel that was saying uh, on a show a couple of weeks ago, he said that people ask him, this is a great time to be a comedian. There's so much material. Mm-hmm. And he said, you know, it's overwhelming. You can't keep up with it. Mm-hmm. You write, you know, you write a show during the day and then by the evening it's oh, yeah. out of date because yeah. some other craziness has mm-hmm. happened. Yeah. It's yeah. A it's demo exactly. crazy. And it's, it's like being in a candy store. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. but also <laughs> I always tell people as a concerned citizen and voter, I'm I'm regularly upset and worried. And But as an artist, it's a it's boomtown. It's, <laughs> it's just a amazing amount of uh, ideas and inspirations and part of me says well you know I'd like to be uh, not this inspired I'd like things to be moving <laughs> along a little smoother and really benefiting the middle class and people yeah. that are struggling I think for many of us on both sides of the political chasm, um, you know, we're flooded with bile whenever we see or hear people on the other rim of the canyon, what mm-hmm. they're wanting to do and mm-hmm. what they're saying. So when you when you make a work, kind of, do you start from a point of anger or derision when you plan a work? And do you find, is it cathartic? Are you, are you moving through this bile 
period that we're just all kind of stuck in yes, until we come and see your work? It's extremely cathartic <laughs> for me. And it does begin with watching the news and reading it in the paper and getting upset about what's happening and wanting to make a statement, wanting to um, have some way to participate. And, uh, it, and I try and envision it almost like a, a little theatrical set. If you look at some of the, the pieces, that they, there's, there are built... I hold it up of, for, so people can see. Yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> there's like a little set, and there's a little story that plays out. And your it. titles are great, too. Yeah. So your titles are part of the story. Yes, yeah, like Stormy Weather for the Future POTUS. Yeah. That's <laughs> and, a good one. Yeah. <laughs> Describe that one. That's the one where... Uh, it's kind of looking back at uh, pre-president Trump and his uh, relationship, or if you ask him, non-relationship with uh, Stormy Daniels here, who is giving him a good swat with the Forbes magazine, and the the base they sit on has covered with all these faces, sort of almost carved in marble, with their finger up to their mouth, hush, hushing people up. We don't want to talk about any of this, and. So yeah, I like the idea that there's something theatrical going on and mm. story story playing out in these pieces. Ta- it almost makes me want to take as the next step to build um, stop motion animation puppets and mm. create um, film. Do you know make these you know right. sculptural figures come alive? Well, and that and that's why we played on the way in um, Genesis World of Confusion <laughs> because your work reminds me a lot of a TV show that was on in the UK in the 1980s that I don't think was big over here called Spitting Image. Spitting Image. And I saw it. Yeah. You did see yeah. it. And so Great. the uh, Genesis, when they made the uh, video for Land of Confusion, yes. they used the Spitting yeah. Image puppets. And so you had, you know, Reagan kind of drowning in a, a sea of water or in his bed and Nancy Reagan and Margaret Thatcher. And of course, all of the images were very unflattering. Um, they poked fun at everybody, the royal family, celebrities. Um, so I wondered uh, who your who your satirical influences are. Oh, I love that show. And and also, like I said, Gerald Scarf and uh, Monty Python, Terry Gilliam's uh, animation and his later films. Those are all influences to me. And uh, some of the uh, uh, editorial cartoonists here in this country, like Pat Oliphant and Mm. um, Levine. I mean, there's a number of them out there that are great caricaturists, but... uh, there was a, a French sculptor in the early 19th century called Honoré Daumier, and he did these kind of polychrome busts from the 1830s, which mocked politicians and magistrates and parliamentarians. And he was thrown in jail uh, for six months by King Louis-Philippe because he had, uh, it wasn't a sculpture, it was a, a drawing of King Louis-Philippe mm-hmm. as, a, as a giant glutton with this kind of big pear-shaped head, and that really didn't please the king, and so he uh, threw him in jail for six months. Well, since I'm here today, I'm guessing the Trump hasn't seen my work yet. <laughs> so. Right. I was going to ask you, like, where is it? Do you, do you think there's a threshold? Do you think that you can go too far? Are all public and political <laughs> figures fair game for satire, or do, is there is there a line? Do I you, think this this work in this show I would describe as being fairly tame. There are some sketches I did oh, that would like be way off the hook, and I figured <laughs> Mike sees this, Scott sees this. They'll never. I mean, when I brought these into the gallery to set them up, I remember Mike looking at Scott and said, "Well, here's the show that gets us fired." <laughs> you know? But they're still here, and so Columbia College must have a very tolerant. I sent a note out to the administration. Uh, I sent a note out to the administration saying, uh, "Be prepared. You know, it's a, it's a great show. It's satirical. It's going to have some." 
edges that get a little sharp. So, but, well, uh, While I was standing in the gallery, two people at least walked through. And I think one of them was, I, I, don't, I don't know that I'd recognize the president, but he seemed like he was fairly important. And he's just stopped and he said, isn't this the best show we've ever had in here? <laughs> oh, my goodness. That's great. I love and two people that. said that to it me. It so. <laughs> Our, uh, when I sent the note to the president, he said he wrote back and he said, "Well, I'll watch for angry mobs." <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, but yeah. they were they were fine with it. You know, they we we do a lot for both sides of uh, the political spectrum. So yeah, uh, yeah I mean, you have you have a, a, a Hillary figure yes, in there. Yes, I have my, my prayer for Hillary, which is that <laughs> please don't do it again. Please don't do it again. Yes, it's she's got a fork in her and it's called she's done. Here. <laughs> Standing, she's standing in a frying pan full of her, you know, with the Clinton Foundation briefcase and money everywhere. <laughs> she's done. Please move on. Find a hobby. Which a is, hobby doesn't involve running for some office. Yeah. Which is timely because there was a piece, I think, in The Independent in the UK yesterday saying that one of her advisors had said that she is planning on running in oh 2003. I know, but I, know. I, I need to check oh. on Snopes and see whether that is yeah. true. I'm, I'm not yeah, sure I'm going to believe yeah, that. So. Scary nighttime scary. Right? <laughs> yeah. That's the one you might need to wheel out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Find a publication for that one first. Yeah. Political yeah. circle. People ask me about if you know Trump ever sees. I said, "There's nothing I would love more than to have him tweet me, my name, my work." It would be like, <laughs> great publicity. Yes. Yeah. Say whatever nasty things you want to say, but expect me to come back. So well, we've had very few uh, negative responses. You know, we can keep a book out there. People sign things in it, and and uh, we've had two people or two posts that say Trump 2020, but that was. That's all we've had. Nothing else. Describe Cry Baby Trump to us, because that is probably the, I would say, the, the, the most noteworthy work in terms of the timeliness of it. That one I started working on actually about a year and a half ago. It was one of the first ones uh, for this show, uh, New Pieces. And it was actually, people have asked me about the, there was a big balloon that was uh, over in England that uh, was showed Trump as a baby sort of crying in a diaper. This I, I was working on this a year earlier than that. Unfortunately, I'm a lot slower than the balloon makers are. <laughs> and yes, it's Trump. It's his... Uh, 70-year-old head on the body of a fat baby with little feet, little hands, and a gold-plated uh, rattle. And he's, his diaper is covered with tweets that I downloaded off CNN's All the President's Tweets website. And I did that for over a year, downloading different tweets, all the nastiness that he spews about uh, different people and countries. And I cut those into strips and paper mache the diaper with those. <laughs> And then uh, cast in uh, yellow resin a mm -hmm. sort of a urine puddle that's in the shape of the tweet bird, and added that too. So yeah, it has to do with him and he and my basic view that he's such a big crybaby. You know, during the 2016 election, he had no problem talking to people like calling Hillary lying Hillary and uh, crooked. crooked Hillary and lying, lying Ted, Ted Cruz. Yeah, and I was amazed that nobody fired back at him because the whole time I watched those debates, I was calling him crybaby Trump because that's what he was doing, just constant whining and crying. So that, you know, that's what inspired that piece. I mean, there were so many tweets that you could choose from. Were you, were you kind of battling on your head as to which tweets would be on top? Yes, yes. <laughs> you they, decide. They, just, they piled up. They, <laughs> there's so many of them. And I, but I wanted some of the ones that people would remember that really burned into your consciousness. Do you, uh, there was um, 
censorship, of course, has always been a, a powerful tool by those in power to, to strike back at people. And I was when I was researching about political satire, you know, Al Cap's Lil Abner, which mm. seems so... I loved Al Cap. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he was censored in 1947 because of his portrayal of the U.S. Senate. And Time magazine quoted one of the Scripps uh, Howard executives as saying, we don't think it is good editing or sound citizenship to picture the Senate as an assemblage of freaks and crooks, boobs and undesirables, which is such well, an awesome quote. More things change, the more they stay the same, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> do you think? Do you think with the rise of kind of these totalitarian and authoritarian governments around the world that we're coming to the end of open season for political satire? Do you think uh, censorship well, and arrests are going to start? No, I hope again? not. Uh, I know there are plenty of. Uh, non-governmental groups too that uh, protest and, and do a lot of crazy things but yeah I hope not it's uh, I think that's up to the artists and to the writers to keep pushing along and uh, uh, you mentioned Al Cap Walt Kelly was another great one with his strip Pogo they must have loosened up a little by the 60s because he really went after mm. um, politicians in his comic strip it's the kind of thing you really don't see I mean Doonesbury did it in the mm. 70s but uh, not as much of it going on so um, give us a little glimpse into your sketchbook. You mentioned that there were works that you thought, oh, I can't put these in Columbia College. Give us a little glimpse of one of the more outrageous works that you would like, or that maybe you've already built. No, one of them had to do with um, an issue of uh, a spiritual arrogance, You know, where religions uh, feel that they're going to heaven, you're not so sad, too bad. It's this spiritual arrogance just just is flooding the world and this country and so there was a piece involving um, evangelicals and uh, it was very much a uh, and the money that rolls in there's some there's one down in Oklahoma who's got 17 million dollar plane and it's just you wondered uh, I don't remember Christ having a 17 million dollar airplane I don't remember him rich man eye of the needle big, yeah yes that's right the, <laughs> the exactly, camel going through the eye of the needle exactly so that was one piece that, that I felt, well, you know, th that may, you know, going after uh, that kind of thing might be a little too much for the show. Well, I hope it finds a home show. Yeah. somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Mike, tell us a little yeah. bit. The show is on until, <coughs> until the 28th. Oh, the 30th. Okay. Until the 30th of this month. Uh, next week, it's uh, the gallery will be open Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, but not uh, not. Uh, Thursday and Friday. Okay. Of um, you ought to be with your family. On. So you only have another eight days or so to come. Is well, no, no, it's the next week. The next week is Sunday. Right. The yeah. 30th. Yeah. Um, is it open Saturday and Sunday, too? I think so. Okay. Yeah. So I you can check. Have basically the best part of two weeks to go yeah. down and see the yeah. show. And it's in the Larson Gallery. It's in the Sydney Larson Gallery. At Columbia College, which uh -huh. is kind of the, the, I was thinking, kind of the back side. It's... Where do you yeah, it's kind of hard to get there now. It is. Yeah, you have to just <laughs> find a good spot and weave your way through campus <laughs> and get to our building. Uh, but uh, we are accessible still. But the usual way of going it from the uh, from the north is is blocked because of new construction. But if you see one art show for the remainder of the year. Mike Hagen, I'm looking at you. You need to go and see the show. This is 
phenomenal show one of the best shows i've seen and i I wish you every success and i cannot wait to see the edgier works that you Uh, do and um if i can help in any way getting the word out then please let me know i'm trying to think of who i know in kansas city or st louis you know i just think Mm -hmm. one of the bigger galleries in our local cities should Mm -hmm. be showing this work it's it's phenomenal i appreciate thank you for all that you have done and continue to do thanks for (laughs) letting me come on the show yeah absolutely anytime you're listening to speaking of the arts on 89.5 fm kopn columbia and we will end this week's show with a roundup of some of the events that are coming up in columbia over the next seven days gentlemen you're free to stay or free to go Let's go. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you. Tonight is the opening reception for the Columbia Art League's annual Give a Gift of Art show at their 9th Street Gallery. The reception is free and open to everyone and is a great chance to do some early holiday shopping for yourself. I always think is the most important person you buy for. And that reception is from 6 till 8 p.m. Tonight and tomorrow, the Missouri Contemporary Ballet returns to the Missouri Theatre with the University Concert Series for an evening dance entitled Intersections, which features six unique works by five choreographers from various dance troupes um, like Alvin Alley and Isadora Duncan. The show starts at 7pm and tickets cost from 28 for adults and $19.60 for children. The play Chuck's Jungle, written by local playwright David Weber, takes the stage at Talking Horse Productions this weekend. The play is a poignant look at the lives of homeless people in America and all proceeds from the evening are going to support Love, Inc. That show starts at 7.30 tonight and tomorrow with a 2pm matinee on Sunday and tickets are $15. Another theatre option for tonight and tomorrow is the musical Hairspray, which is on at Hickman High School. That show starts at 7pm both evenings and tickets are 7 for adults and 5 for students. In Jefferson City tonight and tomorrow is Picasso at La Penagile at the Scene 1 Theatre and that's a 7.30 curtain rise tonight and Saturday and tickets are 15 And at the Rocheport General Store tonight you can hear the fabulous Ina Cook Band from 8pm. Tomorrow, Saturday, author Craig Bruce Smith will be giving a talk at the Boone History and Culture Center about his book, American Honor, which looks at how the American Revolution was also a revolution of ethics, reshaping what colonial Americans understood as honor and virtue. You can hear Craig Bruce Smith's talk at 10.30 a.m., and that's a free event to attend. The big event this weekend, as we heard earlier in the show, is the annual Fall into Art show at Parkade Plaza. Now in its ninth year, the Arts and Crafts Festival will feature 55 artists and fine craftspeople from around the Midwest. Hours are 10 till 5 on Saturday and 11 till 4 on Sunday and it's free to attend. At Cafe Berlin on Saturday night you can hear Rafko with Cantaloupa and Katie Cowden and at the Blue Note on Saturday night Alex Davis is live on stage at 8pm for a $5 ticket charge. At 2pm on Sunday afternoon there is a rally for the human spirit featuring the chorus singers and community soloists and that's at the Unity of Columbia Fellowship Hall. Um, on Tuesday morning you can uh, drop into the twice monthly sketch group at the Museum of Art and Archaeology from 10 to 11.30. No previous experience required and supplies of pads and pencils will even be provided. If you need a night out before the long Thanksgiving family day, Rose Music Hall has you covered on Wednesday evening with an evening of country 
country music from Ward Davis and Clint Park. And according to their website, if you like Cody Jink and Whitey Morgan, then you'll enjoy that show. On Thursday, you get to stay in and eat turkey and watch football. That's it. Nothing else is on. You've been listening to Speaking of the Arts on 89.5 FM KOPN Columbia with me, Diana Moxon, and my good friend and sound engineer, Mike Hagan. I'll be back next week with more news, views, and interviews on the arts in mid-Missouri. Until then, happy Thanksgiving and stay arty, Columbia. Thank you.